Hello, it's 17th of September 2017 and this is episode 42 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been good. There's been lots happening. Mm-hmm, there has indeed. Very good news <laughs> in my opinion, but we will get to that when we get to it. <laughs> Yeah, obviously the big news of episode nine, but we've also had some tidbits about things like novelization release dates. And it's just, you know, as we get closer to The Last Jedi, it feels like there's a more of a steady trickle of information. So Exactly. Although the novelization stuff was a bummer because that yeah. was news to say they're not coming out until March 2018. Yeah, I get why they're doing it because obviously it's to prevent spoilers like leaking, which, you know, it's, it's understandable, but... I really enjoyed reading the Force Awakens novelization just after seeing the movie. Yeah. Because there's loads of little goodies in there, aren't there? It expands on what you see. Um, and there are things that were originally in the script that they take out. And you just have more of an understanding of what's going on in the characters' minds. So it, I, presumably it's to kind of coincide with like a Blu-ray release or something like that. But I, I wonder if it's going to affect the sales. Because I feel like the momentum and hype would have died down a little bit. Yeah, I really would have thought it would damage the sales big time but i guess we'll see i'm not sure how big the market is for novelizations generally anyway i'd have thought they'd only really appeal to like the hardcore star wars fans really because most people like if they want to experience a film again they'll just wait until it's out on digital download or dvd they won't like buy the novelization it's not like the 1970s where you'd buy the novelization because you were never going to see that movie again otherwise yeah I don't know. I just I was looking forward to reading that. Um, I mean, I still will, but it's, it's a while off now. So yeah, exactly. And I remember one of like the first fun things in fandom. There were lots of fun things in fandom, but like literally in December 2015, straight after the Force Awakens came out, one of the most enjoyable things was seeing quotes from the novelization for the first time. You go, oh my yeah. god, this like, expands <laughs> on my understanding so much. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, don't get that magical experience so much, but. Sure, like there'll be lots of other goodies to tide us over, like the film, for example. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's going to be lots going on, so yeah, it'll be good. How's your week been? Uh, yeah, no, it's been really good. Um, it feels like the JJ news for episode nine spoilers, <laughs> um, came out a long time ago, though. It's crazy, it's just been less than a week, it's not that long ago, but I think I've just been so busy in my normal non fandom life that. Mm. Yeah, it, it just feels like a distant memory. But yeah, it's good. Well, and I've been reading Phasma. And yeah, it's been a pretty good week overall. Yeah, I've got more into Phasma as well. And I'm enjoying it more than I thought I was going to. Oh, good. Has it um, picked up for you? I know at first you were a bit iffy on it. Yeah, well, I guess it, maybe it's just a matter of me being stubborn. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know how accurately this is titled because it seems to be more about these other characters than Phasma herself. Yeah. Um, which is not a problem because I'm enjoying those characters, but I'm just wondering by the end of the story, am I really going to have much better understanding of Phasma than I do already? Um, or is that just kind of besides the point and you just enjoy the story on its own merits? Yeah, um, no, that's really how I'm feeling. It doesn't feel like it's much about Phasma at all. Like, And the only thing I'm learning about Phasma is that she's really ruthless and self-centered and she cares for no one but herself. And I don't feel like that's a huge nugget of information, if that makes sense. I guess it depends on how how well this might line up with what Ryan Johnson has in store for The Last Jedi and whether there's a part of that that incorporates that characterization of Phasma. Yeah. Um, whether there's some level of betrayal or she goes against orders because she's so intent on getting Finn or something like that, you know? Yeah. No. Like That's you say, a lot of it is going to be about seeing how cohesive it is. So if it feels like it doesn't match up at all, then it's going to be like, "Eh, well, that was pointless. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Right, then to get to business, if you haven't done so already, please do rate and review us on iTunes. And if you have already done so, thank you very much. Muchas gracias. Um, Yeah, we're close to 100 ratings now. Really? Yeah, thank you to everyone who's rated us. It's so wonderful to see those. Um, yeah, so I think we've got 97 at the moment on the, the US iTunes anyway. 
Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting when we reach 100. <laughs> that is genuinely amazing. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I shouldn't sound so shocked by that. So I'm the one who asks the iTunes ratings People actually time. listen to us. Oh my God, what? What madness is this? You forget, don't you? Because if you're talking to each other every week, it's like, oh yeah, we actually put this online and people listen. Exactly. It's almost to the point where it's something I say, but I kind of like forget that people actually do it as well so wow yeah i am sincere when i ask for these things and say thank you by the way <laughs> i'm genuinely grateful but yeah there's just like a strange disconnect between the small intimate world where it's just the two of us recording the podcast and then the much larger world where we have like these hundreds of people listening to us and apparently reviewing us and rating us mm-hmm. so thank you very much that's awesome <laughs> very emotional um, yeah, and if you have any questions for the podcast, you can email them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. So, to move swiftly into news, the big news of the week, obviously, <laughs> is that J.J. <laughs> Abrams has been brought in as the director of Star Wars Episode Nine, and the release of the film has been pushed back to December 2019. And so we have this report from the official Star Wars website. J.J. Abrams, who launched a new era of Star Wars with The Force Awakens in 2015, is returning to complete the sequel trilogy as writer and director of Star Wars Episode Nine. Abrams will co-write the film with Chris Terrio. Star Wars Episode Nine will be produced by Kathleen Kennedy, Michelle Rejoin, Abrams, Bad Robot and Lucasfilm. With The Force Awakens, J.J. delivered everything we could have possibly hoped for, and I am so excited that he is coming back to close out this trilogy, said Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. Star Wars Episode Nine is scheduled for release on December 20th, 2019. So, wow. Big, big, big news. What, what did mm-hmm. you think when you first saw this, Kirsty? Um, I was happy with it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of, okay, overall, I'm kind of mixed because... I think it's the right choice for episode nine. That's not really my issue. Like I love the Force Awakens, and I think it's really cool that JJ is going to come back to finish what he started. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, but okay, it's just getting to the point, and I don't want to sound entitled with this because obviously it is not my decision. It's obviously Lucas Films, and they, you know, have the right to run their company however they want. But I am just getting to the point where I'm like, are we ever going to get a director who is not a white man? Hmm. You know, like, I'm just really, I have my fingers crossed so hard for the next standalone to be announced and have a diverse choice in either the writer's or the director's seat, you know? Yeah. Um, It just needs to be mixed up a little more. Like, it's getting to the point where you just have this row of white men. Yeah. Um, And that matters. Yeah. No, it really does. Um, And along those lines, I guess my concern is that now Lucasfilm's choices for directors and creatives behind the scenes they do seem to be getting steadily safer and safer so obviously ron howard on the han solo movie and stephen daldry potentially on the obi-wan movie like these are all like older established like white male directors and if they are going to continue to look for these like more established like solid reliable filmmakers like those kinds of buzzwords then I'm really not sure that they would go for like a filmmaker of colour or a female filmmaker because there is still this perception that those kinds of filmmakers, there is risk attached to them. And that should not be the case, as like Patty, Patty Jenkins proved when she did Wonder Woman. And, oh God, what's the name? Of, can you remember the name of the Get Out director? Oh, it's the guy from Key and Peele, right? What's, is it? Oh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Jordan Pill from Get Out, like these people, they have made incredibly lucrative, successful films like that have like completely blown apart the box office. So these are people who should be like prime candidates to direct a Star Wars film. But I'm really not sure A they'd be targeted by Lucasfilm because of this conservative policy they have about directors, and B that they'd want to do it because Lucasfilm really is getting a very, very bad look for being overly hands-on and like inhibiting directors' visions. Like, however unfair that might be, like if, because we don't know the full ins and outs of these situations. But still, that is how it looks from the outside looking in, and I'm not sure how attractive it looks. 
I my personally think looks pretty unattractive. So if I were Patty Jenkins or Jordan Peele or like another successful like minority filmmaker in air quotes, I'm not sure I'd want to do a Star Wars film. And yeah, it's yeah. I guess this is something that we saw coming. We've talked about it before with these changes of the guard they've made with Han Solo and um, episode nine and everything. It's just kind of gradually looked like they are being more conservative. And as you say, that means that inevitably it's going to err more on the white, the, the side of having these white male directors because that's what the old guard is. And yeah. it's not to say that there's nothing wrong with J.J. Abrams. Like I really, I know we probably sound really negative here. We've started it out with the negatives. Um, I do think it's a good choice for episode nine. It's just very safe. Yeah. Um, so it's more like, and, and not to say like, you know what you're getting. Like, I don't think he's going to do a rehash of Return of the Jedi. Like a lot of people God. have been complaining about. Yeah. Um, I think he is going to be bolder now because of what they had to do with the force awakens. And obviously whatever he does with episode nine is going to be shaped by an, um, the last Jedi to an extent. Mm. So it has to flow. And it sounds like he and Ryan have been working together on that. So I have hopes for the story now being very cohesive. And we've had reservations before about how things would fit together because they've emphasized the real creative control and freedom that the directors have had to just kind of pick things up where the last one leaves. Um, so I'm sorry, I've got a cold. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so I'm more optimistic about those things now. Um, yeah. It's just overall, I'm just wondering where things are going to go for Star Wars long-term and whether mm. um, people with, you know, different points of view and different perspectives are just going to be kind of shut out. Because yeah. really when it comes down to it, we're looking at the leads of Ray and Finn with a sequel trilogy and they've only ever been written and directed by white men. Yeah. So I really do feel that like I do feel that there is interest in Lucasfilm and increasing diversity and getting more voices in. But I feel like all of those energies have been concentrated in areas that are far less risky and there's far less depending on them. So like the novels, for example, there's lots and lots of female writers working on the Star Wars novels right now. It's like Claudia Gray and Delilah S. Dawson and plenty of others. So it's clearly not a problem in that area, but that is on such a radically different level from the movies. You know, it's one thing to trust to trust women as the creative voices behind novels and it's another thing to trust women as the creative voices behind hundred million dollar movies and it seems like they're willing to take risks on them for the novels but definitely not on the movies and like you said it's a shame and it is frustrating it makes you wonder when it's going to change yeah and i i do want to say again like I am happy that they do not have Colin Trevorrow anymore and they have JJ instead. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that's a huge improvement and I'm so much more relaxed about where episode nine might go now. Yeah. Um, so I'm really like, please don't think that we're just complaining for the sake of it because <laughs> we're not haters. We love JJ. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just conscious of how the conversation's coming across. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe we should have started with the positives. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I do think it's kind of a good opportunity for him as well really because people have this perception of jj abrams as someone who like is great at setting things off and then doesn't really deliver yeah um on those things that he sets up like the big mystery box but now he's going to have to address that and i think he's going to go all out and be much bolder yeah um, not to say that the force awakens wasn't bold in its own way because i know that it's had its criticism of being a rehash um, that's not something that I ever really subscribe to. And I think there were bold decisions, both with the story and characters and the casting. Like, I feel like a lot of people now take it for granted that we have a black man, a Latino man and a woman um, as the leads in The Force Awakens. Like, that's mm-hmm. huge. That Hollywood doesn't do that very often, especially yeah. on not not on something this big. So Definitely. that's really huge. Um, but yeah it's just going to be exciting for JJ now I think because I feel like he's not that he's going to have like a chip on his shoulder and really feel like he has something to prove because The Force Awakens was a huge success um but there's just been a lot of criticism and negativity towards him about it being just a new hope again yeah so I don't think he's going to go in the direction of just kind of not that I would have thought he would anyway but if he did go in that way and just made Return of the Jedi again I think they'd probably never hear the end of it yeah Exactly. Um, yeah, so at this point, I also need to really, really drive home. I am thrilled that J.J. Abrams is doing this film. 
I really think that there are only ever two like realistic choices to direct episode nine. They were Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. And like I say, I know we've obviously had the conversation about how I'd love to see a female director or um, a director of colour in that position. Like, I really think that given the limited time frame, they absolutely had to choose a filmmaker who had already been entrenched in, like, the planning of the sequel trilogy and already had a really good grounding in, like, the concepts backing up and the ideas about what it should mean and the symbolism and the significance of everything. And in line with that, I think you can only choose J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson. So the thing is, Colin Trevorrow, he was hired as the director of episode nine in i think summer 2015 Mm. so he was on that project for over two years and he still hadn't started shooting so that is two years to purely like come up with ideas and develop a story and to work on pre-production no shooting or anything like that and i think that to bring in a completely new filmmaker and say that they had to go through in essence, that process in about six months, I think that would be way too much to ask of any filmmaker, and I'm not sure any other filmmaker would want to do it. It's such a challenging, challenging specific thing. You need someone with such a specific set of skills and experience that, yeah, I I really am glad that J.J. Abrams is doing it because The Force Awakens, to me, demonstrated that he had such a great grasp on what Star Wars is and what Star Wars should be. Because, yes, it was a film that was very much about the past of Star Wars. But I also think it was about beginning to craft like a new vision of Star Wars. And like how Star Wars can be updated and made fresh and relevant to the 21st century. As well as pandering to people's nostalgic visions of A New Hope. And I think he did that so well, especially through the characters. And through the casting of those characters. Because, yeah, it's like you said, Kirsty, people forget that J.J. Abrams was the one responsible for casting John Baega and casting Oscar Isaac and casting Daisy Ridley. He gave all these people their chances and I also believe J.J. Abrams was the one who was only interested in The Force Awakens because he wanted to make a film about a female Jedi and that alone proves to me that he has a real commitment to seeing through Rey's story and keeping her as the central focus of these films. So I must say one of the things that bothered me with Trevor was I kind of got the sense that he was sometimes pandering to like what people wanted him to say. Mm. So like he'd say, oh, I love Ray, She's so amazing. Blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Maybe I'm being too cynical, but it just always felt a bit false to me. And like he was just repeating a party line rather than saying something that came from the heart. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like yeah, I mean, unfair. it's a different relationship with the character, isn't it? Because JJ and Kasdan created Ray. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, JJ's going to be attached to her and want to do her justice. And likewise for Finn and Poe and Kylo and everyone. So, um, yeah, like, as you say, for Star Wars, when they sign on to these projects, they're in it for several years, especially over a trilogy where everything has to be connected and make sense. So it really was probably, realistically, just going to be between Dame and Ryan. And I think we've heard from Deadline um, there's a strong rumor that Ryan was initially asked and he said no. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. Like we were saying last week, oh, we would really love for Ryan to do it because he seems to have such a cool grasp on the characters and everything, but he probably needs a break. Yeah, so. exactly. It's like, I love Ryan, but I can't for a single moment say I don't understand that decision because he must just be completely shattered. And however much they could lighten his load in terms of publicizing The Last Jedi he would still need to be heavily involved in terms of the promotional phase for that film. So he'd effectively mm-hmm. be doing two jobs at once and then he'd only have like six months to write a script and do all the pre-production and it's just not plausible. So yeah, like and J.J. Abrams, he hasn't ed- directed anything since The Force Awakens. So he's had a nice long rest. So he should be, in theory, like all re-energized and ready to go again, which is great. And that's how it should be. Yeah, and I'm sure he's had ideas from the very beginning of where things might go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people, especially fans of the prequels as well, have been like, oh, great, we're going to get more of the whole practical effects thing. Um, I think a lot of that was just kind of marketing from probably dictated by Disney. And JJ obviously went along with it and was part of it because he was kind of a spokesperson for the movie. Yeah. Um, 
but it was like one of those things they really kind of had to do in terms of the general public's attitude towards the prequels um whether that's justified or not i know people have their own perceptions of the prequels and whether you liked them or what you liked about them and um i just think there's going it's going to be different this time around because the force awakens he really had a difficult job with kind of getting people to get excited about star wars again not yeah. people who were already star wars fans because obviously mm. people who had known about it from the beginning were very excited about the new movie and everything but the general public who in general did not love the prequels mm-hmm. um i think they kind of they had to sell it to them so yeah. they did have to emphasize the more original trilogy aspects of the story and the franchise yeah totally I think that's exactly what was going on, to be honest. Like, it was as much about the publicity campaign as J.J. Abrams himself or how he would have chosen to market his movie. Because if you look at the marketing for The Last Jedi now, it's completely different. Like, yes, there is some stuff about, ooh, look at our practical creatures and stuff, isn't that cool? But that has really taken a backseat and it's so much more about the character dynamics and the character relationships. And I think, honestly, that's the aspects of his film that J.J. Abrams is most interested in as well. It's just he wasn't allowed to talk about those things because they were so, so paranoid about spoilers and ruining the movie for people that they could only talk about the most surface-level aspects of it. And it so happened that the practical effects line was a good go-to point of reference because that doesn't spoil anything and it also pleases those people who really needed to be won over so yeah I really don't think we're going to see that again because I don't think that was something that J.J. Abrams even wanted and I think he's going to be completely intent on crafting in episode 9 that is very unique and very different from Return of the Jedi and it really shows like progression and shows like a new direction for the saga because I honestly don't think he'd be interested in coming back purely to remake Return of the Jedi. Why would that appeal to him? I, I think he said after The Force Awakens came out that he was kind of done with reboots, that he wanted to focus on original things now. Yeah. Um, because that was kind of what he was becoming associated with. Um, so the fact that he's coming back, I think it means he must have a strong idea for what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, and obviously it will now be a bad robot co-production with lucasfilm which is going to be interesting because there were kind of rumors that they were clashing um on the force awakens yeah so, wonder if we'll yeah. get any gossip there oh god <laughs> as long as they don't sack abrams as well like just <laughs> i don't think they can they can that would be like the worst ever pr move if they did that now is like you've chosen your second director he's a good choice stick to him please I, yeah i don't think they can now because yeah, they've done it several times. Um, he is someone who is like a reliable, established director. He's not like a Trevorrow or even Lord and Miller. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we've heard from Variety that I think they're pushing back the filming till June. So at least he's got plenty of time now, or at least more time, to develop a story and get things kind of organised. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of happy about the, the date being pushed back as well. I like Star Wars Christmas. Yeah, same. Like, to me, it would feel wrong having it in May. It would kind of feel like just one of many films. Whereas in Mm. December, it feels like it's really special and like a proper event. So, yeah, it's the right move. Um, And yeah, just I am really, really excited to see J.J. Abrams, like you mentioned earlier, Kirsty, forced to pick up all those threads that are unexplained and require answering and answer them to come up with a conclusion to this story. Because, yeah, like that has been many people's big complaint with J.J. Abrams. But I don't think it's a really fair complaint. Because, yeah, he has started a lot of franchises. But that doesn't mean he can end a story as well. Like, he is an accomplished scriptwriter. He has done many films that are, like, very self-contained. And have their own beginning, middle, and end. Like, Super 8. Like, I know not everyone loves Super 8, but it is a film with a beginning, middle, and end. It's not, like, the first in a franchise. Um, And, yeah. Like, so I'm sure he can do it, basically. And I think people really need to give him a chance. Because, for me, one of the best things about The Force Awakens was how it did sow all these seeds for all these exciting future developments with the characters and with the, like, mythology behind the story. And I loved that because that was so intriguing and fascinating to me and it really 
got my imagination working in overdrive as a viewer which i really love um and yeah like i really want to see how jj abrams chooses to resolve this story it's obviously i'm sure ryan johnson has taken things in a very new and different and exciting direction but that doesn't mean that those seeds that JJ set in The Force Awakens will suddenly be like irrelevant or no longer matter because Ryan will have been building on them too. So now it will be JJ building on Ryan's interpretations of his own ideas. And I think that's actually really healthy from a creative standpoint. So it means that it's not just like the vision of JJ Abrams, it's the vision of JJ Abrams after it's been challenged and mixed up by Ryan Johnson. And I think that kind of creative interplay is really cool. Yeah, and I think it's pretty cool to have that as the second part as well, with Ryan coming in and shaking things up for the characters, because it sounds from what he's saying that all of the characters are going to get challenged in these very real, intense ways. So for, for JJ to come in and kind of round that up in a way that feeds these characters to their resolutions, whatever they end up being, that's a challenge for him as well. Yeah. So I think it's going to be super interesting to see how they do that totally yeah no i'm really excited and yeah i feel so much happier about the film now than i did when trevara was directing so i was kind of thinking about it with these like feelings of dread attached and i know this sounds melodramatic and silly but i honestly was but now i feel like i can genuinely be excited about episode nine and that makes me really happy um oh yeah what do you think about chris terrio co-writing it with abrams does that I... give you any feeling either way the only film of his I've seen is Argo, which I enjoyed, but it was a while ago and I only saw it one time. Yeah, so I know same. people have been talking a lot about like the Batman versus Superman stuff, but I can't really offer any kind of opinion on that stuff. Yeah. No, same. I haven't seen any of the my DC films apart from Wonder Woman, which I loved, but obviously Chris Tarrio had nothing to do with it. Um, but I have seen Argo and like you Kirsty I've only seen it once a while ago but I do remember it being very good and I remember the script being particularly good and I know he won an Oscar for it so the man is clearly talented he can clearly write a good script under the right conditions and from everything I've heard about the DC cinematic universe it sounds like there were anything but optimal conditions when it came to writing the scripts for Batman v Superman and Justice League um, so yeah, I'm not sure how much blame I'd, play, I'd place on Terrio, basically, for any clumsy script writing in those films, you know, because I think those films are, like, legitimate, made-by-committee movies, where there isn't much room for, like, a single creative voice. So yeah, I'm sure working together with Abrams, who we know can do really good script work, like from Force Awakens alone and plenty of other projects, I'm sure they'll work well together. So yeah, I'm not concerned. Yeah, part of me on some level was kind of hoping that Kasdan would come back with JJ just because I thought they were such a great team for The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, going to keep an open mind because I haven't seen much of this guy's work and I don't know how the writing process goes at Lucasfilm and for JJ in particular, but I'm guessing JJ has the kind of overarching vision of the story and then he works with a writer to actually get things down in terms of dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Like one thing, like can you remember JJ Abrams saying in the commentary for The Force Awakens that he spoke to Ava DuVernay about that film and he got her ideas on some things? I would love it so much if it were like a collaboration between JJ and Ava DuVernay. I know that's not realistic because she's so busy working on a wrinkle in time, but that to me would be so cool because that's a female filmmaker who does have history with Star Wars, like at least in a consulting capacity. I mean, she's super talented and super accomplished. And like we were saying earlier, I think that'd be such a cool thing to have like this female voice, like have such a strong role behind the scenes in order to wrap up Ray's story. But yeah. I can, I can imagine her having a standalone at some point. And yeah. I think you also have to remember that the story group has female members. Yeah, and um, obviously it's led by Kiri Hart and Kathleen Kennedy. Makes no secret of the fact that she's involved with the stories, obviously by <laughs> what's been going on. Like if she sees what's going on and she's not happy about it, she'll let them know. Yeah. So it's not like there are no women involved. Yeah, um, sure. It's just that I, I don't think the general public necessarily knows how the story group is involved, or I mean, oftentimes it's kind of obscured from our position as well. But they're there and they're working on it, so they have an impact. Yeah, 
No, totally. I don't mean to like diminish the role of the story group at all. I guess it's just it's my understands that they're not really like the authors of the story. They don't have like the, the level of creative input that a screenwriter would. So it's like quite a different thing. I know they obviously have a say and they have influence, but they're not generating the story themselves. If that makes sense. Um, they're more like they're in a consulting capacity. Is that wrong? I might be misunderstanding what they do. It's very vague. Like, mm. I was listening to a Slash on podcast a few days ago, and they were talking about the story group's role. They'd got a question about it, and Peter had invited Pablo on, but he'd said no. And you could tell that Peter wasn't really sure either, because it's kind <laughs> of like this... They don't really talk about it that much. Yeah. Um, but they're very keen to emphasise that, no, they don't dictate to directors what the story is going to be. Um, so I guess maybe, like you say, it is more of a consulting thing. But then... I don't know. Like I was looking at the extras on the Rogue One Blu-ray and Kiri Hart was speaking like very passionately and like very clearly had been strongly involved with the story of Rogue One. Right. Uh, because they're also producers. So it's like there's a crossover yeah. and they're not just the story group. They actually have tangible roles. So mm. I guess it's a real gray area. I find that yeah. really funny that Pablo didn't want to go on that podcast considering how vocal he is on Twitter. <laughs> Like, I he's guess. not shy he's if he goes talking. on a podcast though it's probably more likely to be perceived as like I am officially representing Lucasfilm whereas a Twitter account is more like his own personal opinions yeah that's true that makes sense <laughs> bless <laughs> um, right on the subject of Slash Film that actually makes a really good segue um, we have some interesting comments on The Last Jedi uh, courtesy of the Emergency Podcast on um, the news of J.J. Abrams taking on the director's chair for the la- for episode 9. And basically Peter Serretta, who's the editor on Slash Film, he had some words to say based on reports he's heard from people who've seen the film. And this guy, he's quite a high up like film journalist, so if he says he knows people who have seen The Last Jedi, I trust him. Would you trust him, Kirsty, when he says that? Yes. I don't yeah. think he'd have any reason to lie about that. Exactly. I don't for a moment think he'd lie. I think he has genuine contacts who've seen the film. So it's not bullshit from Reddit, basically. <laughs> there is reason to believe him when he says these things. Um, so yeah, to quickly run through what was said on the podcast about the reception to The Last Jedi, it went like this. Peter, almost everybody I've talked to has really enjoyed it. Lucasfilm is supposedly over the moon with it. The singular thing that I hear from everybody is that it's different and it's going to probably not sit well with some Star Wars fans. It's going to be divisive. Then another lady on the podcast said, I think that's exciting. And then Peter said, yeah, that is exciting. One person I know that has seen the movie messaged me after this news came out saying that he's happy that J.J. Abrams is coming on because he, you know, didn't like some of the choices that Ryan Johnson went with. So take that for what it's worth. And just to be very clear, so I have seen this misinterpreted, it's not J.J. Abrams who didn't like some of the choices that Ryan oh, Johnson went with. Yeah. It's the person who saw the movie who didn't like the choices that Ryan Johnson went with. So I have literally seen people get them confused. And to be fair, I think it's more ambiguous in the transcript than it is in the actual Yeah, I was going to say, it was very clear from the conversation who he was talking about. Yeah. And we've heard from JJ before, not that he would say anything negative, but that's the thing, right? This doesn't even make sense. He said before how much he was impressed with the script and how he wished that he'd been directing episode eight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not what's going on there. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, what did you make of this, Kirsty? I guess it fits with this whole narrative we're getting about The Last Jedi being really unique and being something quite new to Star Wars and switching things up. Yeah, it just gets me more excited about it. Like, I really Same. like the idea of a film being divisive. Yeah. Um, the Star Wars fandom is already divisive in many ways <laughs> yes. because it's so big. Obviously, people come to it from a range of perspectives and like they're interested in different characters for different reasons and have their own hopes of where the story might go. Um, but it's just going to be so interesting to see how the story plays out and what effect that's going to have on the discussion. Um, because, yeah, like, We've had two years, longer in many cases, really. People were building theories before The Force Awakens even came out. Um, and I'm just 
it's impossible to tell from these comments what exactly they're talking about, obviously, and Peter isn't about to spill beans. Yeah. Um, so it could be anything plot-related, character-related, or it could be more about the cinematography and the camera yeah. style, because just kind of... I haven't seen some of Ryan's films for a while. I should probably go back and review them, but um, they always struck me as pretty stylized. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see him do something quite different for Star Wars. I'm not sure he will because Lucasfilm might be a bit more hesitant about that kind of thing. Like Star Wars has its very own distinct style. Like Ryan was talking recently about what's it called? The camera wipes where it goes across the screen. Uh, Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. He was talking about that because obviously he's going to incorporate those elements that everyone recognizes as part of Star Wars. Um, But yeah, I mean, do you have ideas for what he might be talking about? Oh my god. Um, <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah, it really could be anything. I think my mind immediately went to something to do with the characters or the plot rather than like the technical elements of the film because I thought that if someone's unsettled by something that Ryan's done, I think because of the nature of Star Wars, it's more likely to be the case that they're unsettled by a decision that he's made with the direction of a character or the direction of the story rather than say oh, he filmed it all from Dutch angles. <laughs> um, or that would be awful, and I really hope he doesn't do that, and I know he won't. Um, yeah, so I think it's probably about something that happens with some of the characters, and maybe going in a different direction from what people were expecting or wanted. And in relation to that, I'd think it may well be something to do with Luke, because Luke is perhaps the character who people go into this with the most investment in, because obviously he's the original trilogy hero and people have all these ideas Mm -hmm. about who Luke Skywalker is and who Luke Skywalker should be. So yeah, I think if they, I think if Ryan has made a shocking choice about any character that is really going to upset and divide people, I think it's probably a choice about Luke. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense because we've been talking a lot and because we've been following things quite closely, it's been clear for a while that something is not right with Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond just the obvious, like, feeling upset about the fact that his academy was destroyed by his nephew who betrayed him. Like, there's going to be something that's pretty integral to the plot. Something yeah. that we don't know about already. Because that all that stuff can be inferred from The Force Awakens, right? Yeah. Uh, like, Hans says it. There's that exposition right there. So there's yeah. more to it. Um, and then Ryan's been saying, like, Luke's not a coward. He doesn't just run away. So there's a very specific reason he went to the island um, mm. that we're not aware of and that Ray's not aware of. And we'll uncover as Ray uncovers. And I don't know, maybe it's partly related to the idea that some people were expecting there to be this reunion between father and daughter. So yeah. the, the dynamic is going to be very different there, that Ray's discovering what's been going on with Luke as we're discovering it. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be easy. Like it's it's going to be something that's throws a spanner in the works. Definitely. So I think that if they do take a different direction with Luke from what people are expecting that also means it's likely that they're going to take a different direction with the other characters from what people are expecting. Mm. So if Luke is like at all like dark or antagonistic, then that's going to get Ray to do different things from what people probably imagined after they saw the end of The Force Awakens. And that could challenge people's expectations in a way that they might not like much because Ray was obviously like a real favourite character from that film. And there's lots of room for her to go in directions that would upset people or that people would feel were wrong, given what they thought she was. Because even Daisy has like made comments that indicate that she wasn't sure about the choices that Ryan had made with Ray, especially in relation to the general reception to that character from the public. So, yeah, so many possibilities. It's really exciting, though. I love hearing things like this because it doesn't spoil anything, but it does like just give you a feeling for what might be in store and it's really exciting yeah it's cool to hear from people who aren't involved with like the promotion of the movie yeah you know or production so they're kind of coming at it from as close as possible to the regular audience's perspective Mm -hmm. so it's like oh that's how it's going to make us feel we're going to feel like it's divisive and controversial and you know within reason (laughs) Um, but it's the second movie in a trilogy so it's going to have to upset things somehow so, yeah. yay, it's really exciting. Exactly. I'm prepared for upset, personally. It should be good. <laughs> um, right. Then the uh, next story is that Ryan Johnson was in Japan 
at a fan event, whatever that is, for The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, and he made quite a few interesting comments. Um, before I say about any of the other co- comments, he did also talk about doing episode 9 because he went there before they announced JJ. So people naturally were like, oh, are you going to be involved? And he said some diplomatic things that, in retrospect, they were clearly saying, no, I'm not doing it, but without directly saying that. Um, so he was saying things like, I look forward to being an audience member and seeing whatever happens next with the story, or something like that. Um, and yeah, that is a pretty clear, no, I'm not doing it. Um, although at the time, I was like, oh, please, Ryan, please do it, please. please. <laughs> so I kind of had my heart set on him a bit, you know? I was but... just interested at that point to see who they were going to bring back instead, because mm. people who listened to our show last week, I don't think either of us even brought up JJ as an option, because of what he said in the past about being done with reboots and franchises like this. So yeah. I was just like, well, if Ryan's not going to do it, who are they bringing on? Because yeah. as you said earlier, it makes sense to have someone who's been involved for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just like, okay, wonder who it's going to be. Exactly. It would be like a hell of a thing. It did give me like a really nervous feeling. I think I was afraid of them bringing in like a Chris Columbus or just some really like depressing workman-like filmmaker, <laughs> you know? It's like, oh no, please don't do that. Uh, so yeah, I feel like they made a good choice in JJ. But yeah, on to what was actually said at this event in Japan. He made comments about various different characters and like gave a few little tidbits of information. Yeah, I think what I'll do is I will go through the quotes one by one and then we'll talk about them all in turn. Just because I think they're all quite interesting and there's things to say on each. So talking about Kylo Ren, Ryan said this. Kylo Ren was another thing that instantly hooked me into The Force Awakens, and that was one of the things that J.J. created that was so interesting. A villain who is layered and complex, and he isn't Vader, at least not yet. You can really see his weaknesses, and you can see that he's petulant, that he's not mature, and that's very, very interesting to me, and I really enjoyed writing that character. You'll see that in this film, we find the cracks in his armor, and we split them apart, and try and see deeper into Kylo and what makes him tick. Oh, I love this quote so much. <laughs> I really like that visual. Yes. Because we have the cracked helmet in the teaser, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the kind of thing, when we first saw that, it seemed like the obvious symbolism. So it's kind of nice to get that confirmed that it's going to be about really getting to the core of his humanity and what makes him tick, like what really is his emotional state in the aftermath of what happened with The Force Awakens. Yeah. Exactly. Shirtless scene confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, no, no, that is not a sincere takeaway from this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so interesting to me. And it's really like going against what so many people expected from the character. I think so many people wanted the character to like man up and like just stop showing his emotions and to stop being weak. Um, after killing Han Solo. And it seems like we're going to actually get the opposite. And that we're going to see those cracks deepen and that we're going to see more and more of his humanity and what's going on beneath the surface and I love that. That's my jam. Oh yeah, same. (laughs) Um, Every time Ryan speaks about Kylo and the other characters as well, I just get more and more excited about what he's done. Exactly. I can't wait. Um, And then he talks about Rey. That's really her journey during the course of this movie and that's part of why the character of Rey was so exciting for me, I think. For myself, growing up, Luke Skywalker, who was the hero that I looked up to, and as a kid, I think Star Wars is very much about adolescence, you're finding your place in the world. And that's very much what Rey is going through right now, in a very different way than Luke. So for me, it's one of the big things that first emotionally hooked me into the character, and it's a big, big part of what we're going to see in this movie. I really like that he draws the distinction between Rey's journey and Luke's, so even though he says that they're both in like that adolescent place in their respective movies when they're going on their hero's journeys, it's a very, very different type of story. And yeah, that pleases me. Yeah, I feel like that's that fits with what he said about how Vader isn't, you know, Kylo and Vader are different characters as well. Yeah. So it's emphasising that it's a different kind of story, even though it's ultimately in the genre of a coming of age fairy tale. And he's seriously using adolescence over and over again as a term. Like, I feel like that's been one of his approved talking points <laughs> on yeah, the promotional yeah. tour. I um, do think they have, like, a list of phrases that are allowed. And probably also a phrase list of phrases that are disallowed, to be honest. Probably. 
Yeah, so it's you, you're going to see the same kind of things come up again and again, just phrased slightly differently. Um, but yeah, like he's clearly excited about Ray and is like thinking about her in terms of her transition from childhood to adulthood. Um, and like you say, obviously he's going to want to distinguish his film from Empire as well. So that makes sense. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I really like that. I hope we enter a phase soon where he actually starts using different buzz phrases and stuff. <laughs> so I say I love all this talk about adolescence and going on journeys and stuff, but I just want them to get a bit more specific, you know, and I do think they will. So I think as they get into the proper press phase from like about November, they're going to have to talk a bit more about the characters and stuff. And then I think that's the level where I'd quite like it to stop. So I'm kind of at the point, and you mentioned this to me before, Kirsty, before we started recording, that I don't think I really want serious spoilers anymore now, to be honest. It feels too close. And yeah, we're getting down to the wire and things are going to be getting real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to experience the film. And that probably means I'm going to have to go off Tumblr at some point in December. Because, yeah, spoilers are going to come out. And definitely a, like a couple of days before because it gets released in France first. Ah. Seriously, France gets The Last Jedi on like the 13th of December, Kirsty. It's really oh, unfair. I know, right? Oh, we're definitely going to get all these leaks then before we see it. Oh, God, I don't know if I can take a full media blackout. <sighs> I know. I might have to. It really sucks. I don't know why they're doing it, to be honest. Like, it's great for France. Go France. <laughs> but sucks for everyone else. <laughs> it is interesting because you just kind of assume that a worldwide release, like for something this big, you'd have to have it all on the same day because... Otherwise, people will hear exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. So there's going to be lots of spoilers, basically. So I saw Mother, and unfortunately, one of the big plot developments in that film spoiled for me Aww. just by glancing, like, in the comment section of YouTube, at, like an unrelated. Oh, video. that sucks. It does suck, and it made me realise how people must have felt when like the Han Solo death was spoiled for them in TFA. So I know that happened a lot in the same way. People just shouting about it in unrelated comment sections and I was kind of like you assholes <laughs> so it really does spoil it you know when it's something where you've been really trying to insulate yourself from it and it's like oh but at the same time I feel like I'm being a bit of a hypocrite because in the past I've been like give me all the spoilers give me give me give me <laughs> but it's different when you realise that the spoilers aren't coming and then you just reach a point where you're like uh, it wouldn't be fun at this point you know it's fun when you're like a year out and you have nothing. You need something. Because then you just latch on to whatever you can get hold of. But at this point when there's only like two and a bit months, I don't need it. Yeah, it's like the whole Rogue One stuff. I didn't bother going hunting for anything. It was like we, we once you get close enough, you get enough content through the official promotion. You get all those different TV spots. Yeah. Um, there's almost too much to talk about. And I was so glad with The Force Awakens that I didn't know about Han's death and who was related to who beforehand. Like, I feel yeah. like it did increase my enjoyment of the story. So Definitely. And then the final thing of note that we'd like to talk about in relation to what Ryan was saying in Japan is that he said that his friend Joseph Gordon-Levitt is getting a cameo. You know what I can tell you is that my... And we haven't said this yet, but I think this is okay to say, is that my very good friend, the actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is in a movie I made called Looper, he does a cameo as the voice of an alien in the film. It's a very brief little thing, but it's fun. And if you watch the movie, maybe you'll be able to hear and pick out Joe's voice in the movie. That's the first time I'm revealing that. Yeah, and that was really cute, because I know the hosts at the event, they're like, oh, please, Ryan, tell us something you haven't told anyone else. And he told them this. So, yeah, it's completely inconsequential. It's just like, yay, my bee's doing a voice. But it's nice. It's good to see friends sticking together. Yeah, it's a really cool little tidbit. And like you say, it's a safe thing to reveal because it's not a spoiler. It doesn't tell us anything about the story. Um, but it's a, like a little Easter egg people can look out for. Um, and I kind of hoped that he would have a, like a little part, however small, because they do kind of have this partnership that's been going back for years. Yeah, so they first uh, worked together in Brick, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember when that film came out, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt looks really young in it. Wow. I think it might have been 2005. Right. So he would have been super young. Um, he kind of has a baby face anyway, I guess. But <laughs> I just typed in brick and the first result is 
Brick, Wikipedia. A brick is building material used to make walls, pavements, and other elements in masonry construction. The more you know. It's also a film. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, no, he was older than I thought when he was in Brick. He was, like, 23. Mm, so, he's yeah, playing just... a teenager, I guess. So Exactly. Just baby face, I guess. So, makes sense. Um, right. And then the next story is that we have more Forces of Destiny episodes coming in 2018 and this story goes the announcement was made during the forces of destiny panel at hascon on september 9th and according to the collector's cantina twitter account these new episodes will be in addition to the eight shorts that are slated for release in october 2017 upcoming episodes will feature fan favorites from across the from across the star wars universe including hera syndulla from star wars rebels Finn and Kylo Ren from The Force Awakens, and legendary scoundrel and pilot Han Solo. And then in relation to that, we have two episode descriptions for episodes that are going to come out in October. So these are the newest recruits. Sabine hopes to win the former headhunter Ketsu for the uprising. The mission turns out to be much more complicated than originally believed. And then the starfighter stunt. When Ahsoka teaches Padme to steer a fighter jet, they are attacked by a droid starfighter, and Padme must immediately put what they've learned into action. And those reports serve via Stars Newsnet and Jedi Bibliotech. So, thank you. Um, yeah, I loved the original batch of Forces of Destiny, and I'm really psyched for these ones. Um, how about you, Kirsty? Yeah, same. Um, I just think they're a really cute, like, intermission, I guess. Um, because they are really small, but it's nice to have. I assume that they would like release one daily for a while again, like they did last time, and it was really fun just to kind of anticipate what the next story would be. Um, and the synopsis that they give here, like I just really love the idea of seeing the characters working together again. Because, as we've said before, um, there's not that much an existing canon of women kind of working together in Star Wars. It's very much like a man's world, and then you have one or two female characters. So, yeah. I really love that, um, the sounds of the episode where Ahsoka teaches Padme to steer a fighter jet. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It sounds really cool. And I love that about, like, showing women helping each other to, like, develop and grow and, like, improve their skills. Because, mm-hmm. like you say, in Star Wars often it's about, like, men and, like, if women are involved, it's, like, with male mentors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to see, like, women picking each other up and helping each other out. Um... In terms of the characters that are still to come, um, it's very intriguing that Kylo Ren will be appearing in the Forces of Destiny episode. It seems that he'll be appearing in one of the 2018 episodes. Um, and there have been dolls of him and Rey packaged together. So it looks likely we're going to get a Forces of Destiny episode of the two of them, which is very interesting. And I can only assume that it will be a Last Jedi tie-in episode because I just, I can't, conceive of any way in which you could get a Kylo and Rey working together scenario from The Force Awakens. Oh yeah, well if you look at the dolls, they're wearing those costumes. Yeah, exactly. They're wearing the Last Jedi costumes, so yeah, I think it's a no-brainer, basically. Yeah, and I think we heard already that the one with Finn and Han Solo, would like that would be them with Rey as well. Um, yeah. Probably, I mean, obviously that would have to be in The Force Awakens timeline, so it's probably just like a little interlude of them on the, the Falcon or something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's one of the October ones. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, we can expect that nice and soon. So yeah, cool things to look forward to. Um, right, with the next story, Kirsty, would you take like to take the lead on it? It's the one about from a certain point of view? Sure. So I'm really excited about this book. If people haven't heard, there's a new short story collection coming out. It's like an anthology. Um, and it's I think it's October 3rd is the release date, at least in the US. Um, and it's 40 short stories to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. And they've started releasing some of the synopsis on um, Twitter, like from the various authors and the Star Wars books accounts. Um, and some of them just sound so intriguing and they're really creative. Um, I'm more excited about it now after seeing these. I was going to read it anyway. But um, just for like some examples, there's one about Obi-Wan Kenobi told from his perspective after he's died. So um, it's called Time of Death by Kevin Scott. It says, my name is Obi-Wan Kenobi and I'm dead. I know how that sounds. Crazy old Ben with his crazy old stories. But this isn't crazy. This is happening. At least I think it is. Doesn't that just sound so interesting? 
That does. It sounds really cool. I and I always love the first person. I know it sounds like such a weird thing to say. Oh, but me I'm too. A sucker for like that intimate perspective. Yeah, and I love it because we don't get that from the films. So it's definitely. like another way to get into the character's psyche. Yeah, like with A New Hope, that is not a film that at all invites you to get inside Ben Kenobi's head. <laughs> definitely not. He is literally just there as like this wise, benevolent mentor figure, which is fine because that's all he needs to be in that film. But yeah, just the thought of hearing his thought processes, especially at the time of his death, that is so intriguing. And yeah, just the thought that there's going to be loads of other stories along those lines. So I've heard that there's one story that is from the perspective of Brea Organa as mm-hmm. Alderaan is destroyed. And like that, I'm really, really curious to read. This is what I love about Star Wars, because you have the films, but then you have these endless opportunities to fill in all the blanks and gain these different perspectives. And I guess we're going to get that with the Legends of Luke Skywalker book that's coming out soon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like seeing this event from Obi-Wan's perspective after he's died, like, are they going to reflect, have him reflect on the fact that it was Vader and Anakin who killed him? Mm. Like, that's just an insight that we I never thought we would get, because it's kind of silly because you know that he's a force ghost afterwards so it's possible but it's just like an element of obi-wan that you didn't think would be explored yeah definitely with the obi-wan thing i'm i'm very curious to see if like he's actually like pleasantly surprised when he comes back as a force ghost like oh wow it worked yeah <laughs> yes it worked yeah all that work with qui-gon it worked exactly um. <laughs> so can you imagine doing all that like hard work like training in solitary in the desert for like almost 20 years to try and master the skill and then you died and you just didn't come back <laughs> yeah to be fair you wouldn't be aware in order to right. be annoyed but still <laughs> so. yeah i just looking at like some of the other ones it seems like there's going to be a real mix of tone because like the chuck vendig one is um the bartender from a new hope in the cantina who won't serve droids so it's just like these little things that you would never have expected them to fill in the blanks on. It's just these cute little anecdotes. I'm just really exactly. excited to see these. Yeah, it's such a nice idea. And I think it's a great way of celebrating the anniversary. Because I do think that the characters of Star Wars get overlooked sometimes. Like, but they are so, so important. And I think if people didn't love and care about those characters, just the whole franchise would fall apart, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they they are really at the core of it, so it's nice that they are the vocal point for this. Yeah, and it, there's going to be an audiobook released, and we've heard that people like John Hammer involved. He's going to be voicing Boba Fett. Oh wow! It's far from my favorite character, but I'm interested to listen to that one because he's a great actor. Um, I absolutely love Mad Men, mm. and I'm just really interested to see what he does with that character. Yeah, because like it, it's there's. There's very little to go on with Boba Fett. I know we have the prequels that fleshed him out a little bit more, but mm. it would be interesting to see if this gets people more into the character because presumably that's the goal, right? Yeah, it gives, it gives you something you didn't already know. So Exactly, it's really cool. Um, oh my God, is Pablo really writing a story for this? Yeah, he's writing about Tarkin. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I didn't even realise that he like wrote fiction. Well, like, and I don't know how much he has written before, but if he's going to be given the opportunity i mean he's he's in there with lucasfilm he's part of the story group if he wanted to write one he probably could right like they're just like yeah yeah put one together go wild paps yeah that's really cool i've always sensed that he really likes Tarkin, so i'm glad he got to do that i the information might already be out there but i'm not sure who like what kind of stories people like claudia gray writing christy golden Mm. was writing one as well yeah um but yeah it's so cool they've got so many of these well-recognized and acclaimed authors on board yeah I'm very intrigued that Meg Cabot is writing them. She didn't. She write the Princess Diaries films. Yeah, <laughs> I love those as a teenager. So yeah, Princess Diaries books. What the hell am I saying? Yeah, yeah. No, that seems so random, but it is really cool. So yeah, I'm excited to see what she does. Yeah. So hopefully, in a few weeks, we can both read the book and at least talk about a few of the stories. Because forty is just too much for us to kind of go over on the podcast. But there'll probably be a few that stick out in our minds. Exactly. I'm curious to see um, like how long the stories are, because short story can be really, really short, like it's in three or four pages, or it can be like 40 pages. So that's a huge range. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was listening to one, I think, I can't tell if it was a leak or not, because I just saw it on Tumblr, but there was an audiobook uh, recording of a story about Yoda, um, 
so I listened to that and it was just a few minutes so I just kind of listened to it while I was doing something um but maybe that would be a good way to experience it because I think it was Mark Thompson who was narrating it so and and they do all the voices and everything as well so does he do a good Yoda yeah yeah it was pretty decent (laughs) nice yeah that's really cool I'm definitely looking forward to it um right and then the final thing that we want to talk about today is it came from Ryan Johnson's Twitter because Ryan has been a very busy boy in terms of stuff that he posts on Twitter and recently someone asked him can you name one song that reminds you about Kylo and Ray?" and then wordlessly he replied with Crippled Inside by John Lennon um, <laughs> it's really funny so I'm not very familiar with Lennon's solo material I love the Beatles but I haven't listened to many of the songs he did by himself. And it's actually like a really funny song. Like you listen to it and it's got this really like upbeat tone, but the lyrics are very like sardonic and ironic. And I know that's kind of Lennon's thing. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. It's not what I expected. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure what I expected, but... <laughs> Crippled Inside is what comes straight after Imagine on the album. So ah, okay. it's like an intentional contrast. But yeah, the lyrics are pretty heavy, but it's obviously juxtaposed with like a jaunty little tune. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just, I love that Ryan even answered this. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> I guess, but it's not really spoilery in that it kind of fits with what you see in The Force Awakens, right? That they get into mm. each other's heads and see each other's pain and conflict and everything. Oh like yeah, that- sure. Yeah, it's pretty central to what their dynamic is as it stands. I don't think it's spoiler at all. I just think it's interesting that of all the many, many tweets he gets, he chooses to answer this one. And it he answers me. quite a lot of tweets. Like he's he's pretty responsive. Really. He's pretty responsive, but he definitely doesn't answer all of them. Sure. Yeah. So he is select somewhat selective in terms of what he answers. But I think we know from his recent answers that he really, really likes those characters in particular, Kylo and Ray. He certainly talks about them a lot. I know he loves all the characters, but he just does seem to have been on a real high with them recently. <laughs> so I guess it's like, oh yeah, I'm replies to that. Yeah, but, I guess it's because it is kind of a safe area because, it, like you know, it is what was established in the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can say, yeah, that's the central conflict, and this is kind of a song that might sum that up for people. Mm. And he's not even saying much himself there, is he? He's just linking to something. There's no... Like you said, he presented it without comment, so people can take from it what they want. Exactly. I'm sure he knows it's like a Rorschach test where people look at it and they'll get so many different meanings. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen some people point out that Crippled Insights about the rivalry between Lennon and McCartney. I mean, one line was. Mm. I'm sure, but as if to say that that means that we're going to see a Lennon-McCartney-esque rivalry between Ray and Kylo. What, that they were, like, creative geniuses together, best pals, <laughs> and then, like, one felt betrayed because one left the band. <laughs> and, like, we're resentful exactly. of each other. Okay. Like, no. the whole thing with Ray and Kylo is that they weren't close to begin with. That's kind of the reverse, right? That, that, well, that's what I find so funny about these like song interpretations and this is like a general thing this is not about any particular like sect of fandom but it's even like you know they have these spotify playlists for the characters yeah i have seen people do these incredibly detailed breakdowns and analyses of like the meanings of these songs in relation to the characters and their implications for the story and it's like i my real feeling with any of these songs is that they're cool and they're fun but you can't analyse them that closely because it's not like the film is an adaption of the song. It's, it's not one for one. So, Oh yeah, I think most people know that with this stuff. They're just kind of having fun with fandom, right? Like when we've written essays yeah. before, it's not like we're thinking, I'm going to be spot on with this. And, oh you know, yeah, yeah, sure. You're not doing it to be right. It's just kind of people having fun with fandom and like, yeah. oh, this could be a possible meaning. Because yeah. like, those Spotify playlists, as you say, they're probably picked out by some intern somewhere and it's just like, oh, these are popular songs who vaguely reference this, or they vaguely fit with what my personal understanding of this character is. But yeah. It's not like exactly. Ryan Johnson himself is choosing them. <laughs> yes. That is funny because this does represent quite a contrast with the Spotify playlists. The Spotify playlists are all like, um, 
like modern songs from like the 2010s and they've all got like these hip young artists behind them and like I listen to them and I feel like like an old grandma I'm like what who, who is this young person singing this story tune and and then it's like ah Lennon good old Lennon yes <laughs> obviously Lennon is from before my generation but I grew up in a house where I listen to old songs more than like modern tunes and stuff so yeah like seeing a song from Lennon that meant more to me than I don't know, like whatever random songs are on the Spotify playlists for Rinkano, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's different if it's coming from the director himself, right? So. Exactly. So yeah, it's interesting and I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, I mean, the song itself is talking about like people wearing masks and kind of hiding their true selves. So yeah, yeah I think it's very exactly. And I think you made a good point, Kirsty, in that this song, if it has any if it tells us anything about those characters it only really tells us about the dynamic as it stood at the end of the force awakens so i really do think ryan johnson is very much like pablo like he's like no spoilers if i tell you anything it's only in the context of the force awakens and before it's not about the last jedi and onwards so yeah i totally think that's the best way to think about these things yeah and like all his statements so far about the last jedi like you kind of get the impression that it's all about the first act Right, because yeah. that's the setup. So precisely, he's not going to spoil the third act of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> At least I yeah, hope so, not. <laughs> yeah. So, so then, um, like in the part of her character development where she goes to the dark side, Ray is severely tested. <laughs> yeah, that won't happen. That won't happen. <laughs> um, right, before it turns into the silly hour, I think that's probably a good point to end things. Sorry, that got a bit silly towards the end. I'm a bit tired. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am Rachel, and you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I am Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye! Bye!